Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your word received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that as we draw closer to the Moedim, to the, the fall Moedim, the appointed days, that, Lord, you will reveal to us a, uh, a deeper understanding of the truth of your atonement, your forgiveness, and your mercy poured out. Father, that we will walk faithfully in that reality as we uh, await the sound of that great shofar blast ushering in the return of Messiah. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this week we read Parsha Ba'echanan, which consists of Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 7, 11. However, uh, for the next seven weeks, we will be discussing, rather than our Torah Parsha, as we normally do, we'll be focusing primarily on our Haftor Parshot, uh, which are known as the seven Haftorot, or the seven messages of consolation, from Isaiah 40 through more or less uh, Isaiah 66, through the end of Isaiah uh, which are read from the weeks between Tisha B'Av, which was this past Wednesday and Thursday, uh, through Rosh Hashanah, or just before Rosh Hashanah. This Shabbat also has a special name, as we said earlier today, in relation to the Haftorah reading for this week. It is called Shabbat Nachamu, or the Shabbat of Comfort, which is the first word of Isaiah 40, this week's Haftorah Parsha. As a quick refresher, uh, as we talked about last week from Tisha B'Av, we're talking about Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av on the Hebrew calendar is a day of great calamity in the eyes of the Jewish people. So many terrible atrocities have occurred on this day throughout Jewish history. Just to name a few for you, we see the 12 spies in uh, uh, return back with an evil report of the promised land, which Israel is then reminded of in last week's Torah Parsha. Those events occurred uh, in numbers, and it's reminded again in last week's Torah Parsha. Uh, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in roughly 587 before Common Era. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 common era. So just so you catch on to that, not one, but two temples, both of the Beit HaMikdash, both of the holy temples were destroyed uh, by our uh, attackers, by the aggressors on Tisha B'Av. So right out the gate, you know, one was destroyed on Tisha B'Av. It's curious, it's interesting. Both of them destroyed at the same time. God's telling us something in relation to this particular day. Uh, then beyond that, in 135 Common Era, uh, the Romans killed uh, uh, about a half million Jewish people as they crushed the Bar Kokhba revolt and plowed the walls of Jerusalem. So in 70 Common Era, the Second Temple was destroyed. In 135 Common Era, the walls of Jerusalem were plowed and the city was destroyed completely. Uh, the, the first crusade officially began in uh, 1096 Common Era and approximately 10,000 Jewish people were killed in the first month. As I said last week, most people think of the Crusades as uh, a, the, the church going to redeem Jerusalem back from the hands of the Muslims. But the reality was that along the way, uh, because the church didn't at all care about the Jewish people uh, and held the Jewish people responsible for the death of Yeshua, along the way they practiced their warfare on Jewish villages, slaughtering men, women, and children along the way. And in the first month of the Crusades, 10,000 Jews were killed. Uh, in 1290, the Jews were expelled from England, and then again about 100 years, give or take, later, again expelled from England. 
uh, on Tishbab. In 1306, the Jews were expelled from France. In 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain. All of these occurring in on Tishbab. The Nazis' final solution began in 1941, leading to the slaughter of six million Jews in the Holocaust, plus another uh, nearly six million people uh, above and beyond that. Um, and the final solution itself began on Tishbab in 1941. So these are just to, to bring about a few of the atrocities. You can go look up to Shabaab and see that there are countless, even leading up to the early 2000s, there have been events uh, that have occurred on Tishbaav uh, that have drastically affected the Jewish people. Um, following Tishbaav begins seven weeks in which the entire Jewish world is focused on introspection and repentance. Tishbaav is known as a day of destruction and calamity for our people. It is traditionally a fast day, and it is a day in which we remember the destruction of both temples, which was brought about by our failing to live in covenant relationship with Hashem. In synagogues the world over, Isaiah 40 is being read by our Jewish people this week. This past Wednesday night and Thursday was in fact Tishbab, or the ninth of Av on the Hebrew calendar, and the entire Jewish world's mind and heart were focused on the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and the, uh, on the ninth of Av and Tishbab, not once but twice. The first by the Babylonians and the second by the Romans. We are reminded of our sins, which ultimately brought about the temple's destruction, the raising of Jerusalem and the captivity of our people by the Babylonians. Adonai expelled a great bit of effort through numerous prophets over the years to attempt to get Israel to open our eyes and uh, to, to open our eyes to our failures, to our sins, and to return to him in faithfulness. But ultimately, each and every one of these prophets were uh, ignored, and many of them were killed by the very people that God sent them to. However, as the hearts and minds of our Jewish people are focused on mourning the destruction of the temple, we are brought to an annual season of focusing on introspection and repentance, the seven weeks of consolation between Tishbab and Rosh Hashanah, leading up to the ten days of awe, which is Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, and a focus on repentance and restoration and relationship with the Lord. So as I said this week, we have a special Haftorah Parsha. Uh, it's Isaiah 40, um, and we're going to, over the course of the next six weeks after today, we're going to focus in the message specifically on the Haftorah Parsha for those weeks uh, as we look at ultimately the reality that the, uh, of the message that God was really bringing to Israel uh, and to Judah through Isaiah looking at this book that is often viewed by most believers as simply being a book of destruction and despair, a book of uh, calamity, a book of promise of punishment to the Jewish people. So Isaiah 40, verse 1, begins with, in Hebrew, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Yomar Elohechem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, for she has received from Adonai's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be a plain and the rugged uh, terrain smooth. The glory of Adonai will be revealed and all flesh will see it. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. Now before we go on, I want to remind you that one of the great things we see throughout the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah proclaims that there is a specific and unique call on the Jewish people. And that call is to be a light to the nations. The, 
it's not that God chose us and selected us to be the carriers and the guardians of his word because there was anything particularly special about us. As a matter of fact, if you go back to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can see they messed up left and right, right? Uh, you go back to uh, David, you see David messed up left and right over and over again. And if you look at any one of our lives, you'll see that we're going to mess up left and right. But the reality is, is that God called the Jewish people because there was a seed of promise that was brought through them as was promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that seed of promise is Messiah. And so Isaiah says that our calling, our purpose, the reason that God called us as the chosen people was not for our sakes, but for the sake of the nations, for us to be a light unto the nations. So we see here in verse 5, the glory of Adonai will be revealed and all flesh, not just Israel, not just the Jewish people, but all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. Isaiah is a prophet who Adonai sent to Israel to proclaim the coming destruction and captivity. In fact, Isaiah's message was split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Isaiah is kind of split in two sections, if you would, the early being focused on the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the Assyrian captivity. However, the latter is focused not just on the, uh, the, the destruction of the southern kingdom and the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, uh, but also on the idea of restoration and redemption. However, along the way, Isaiah split focus of the northern and southern kingdoms and their inevitable captivity. There is another split that can be found in Isaiah. The split isn't quite so cut and dry visibly, but it is ever present. This split is found in a dichotomy of messages, the message of destruction and despair because of our sins and failure to uphold our covenant relationship with Hashem and the message of teshuvah, or return repentance and reestablishing our covenant relationship with Hashem. And the message of Teshuvah can be split into two as well. The call to make Teshuvah to avoid captivity and destruction altogether, and the promise of future Teshuvah that would bring the restoration of the promised land and the kingdom of David. The latter being a dual promise, that of the exiles returning from Babylon and that of the restoration found in Messiah Yeshua, who is seen throughout the book of Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah's prophecies of the Messiah are so dramatically at the centrality of the gospel message itself. We read Isaiah 40 on Shabbat Nachamu immediately following Tisha B'Av every single year because it is a reminder of the heart of God for his people Israel. It is a reminder that though we may fail him, he will never leave nor forsake us. It is a reminder that though we are commemorating destruction and despair, though we are commemorating diaspora in consequence of our sin, that he is ever faithful to comfort and restore his people no matter what. This is a message I believe is not only valuable to our Jewish people, but also to the nations. For how can those of the nations in the body of Messiah ever fully trust in the promise of salvation and restoration of Messiah Yeshua if Adonai isn't faithful to bring such to the Jewish people first and foremost? Interestingly enough, the very promise of eternal covenant and full restoration of Israel and the Jewish people is a complete contradiction to the split, the spirit of anti-Semitism that has been unfortunately present in the church for most of the last 2,000 years. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that every church in the last 2,000 years or every believer in the last 2,000 years in the church is anti-Semitic. But there is a spirit of anti-Semitism that has existed in the church. And before I go on, I want to dig into this for just a split second. 
second. The spirit of anti-Semitism, I believe the root of the spirit is the anti-Messiah, the spirit of the anti-Messiah. Because the enemy knows that in order for Messiah to come back, all Israel must be saved. This is Yeshua's words himself. Paul even says that before Messiah returns that all Israel will be saved. And so this idea of Israel proclaiming, Baruch blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a necessity for the return of Messiah. And so the enemy knows if he can keep the Jewish people from coming to know Yeshua, he can stay his execution just a little bit longer. And so how is the best way to do that? Well, God says that the nations, as is said in Romans 11, the nations were brought in the body of Messiah. If, if Israel was chosen to be a light to the nations, the nations were chosen to be grafted into the body of Messiah to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. And so the enemy said, well, if I can get the very people that are supposed to drive them to jealousy for their God to do the exact opposite of that and drive them further away from God, then I can stay my execution just a little longer. And so this is the core of anti-Semitism in the body of Messiah. And, and, and if you think that the, the body of Messiah is no longer, that, that it's no longer an issue in the body of Messiah, then you, you just have your eyes closed, willingly, intentionally, because it's still prevalent. It is still pervasive in the body today. It is still pervasive that there are believers, there are Christians who hate the Jewish people. I personally, in my lifetime, have heard countless people tell me that it's my fault that Christ was, was, was killed, that I killed him because I'm Jewish. And then I have to remind them, no, 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 let's slow it down, slow it down. Remember, <laughs> Israel couldn't perform capital punishment under Roman law. We had to hand them over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are who killed them. But the reality is, aside from you know truth, the reality is that it took both of us, Jew and Gentile alike, destroying the world that God created for perfection for there to be a need for Yeshua to come in the first place. So it wasn't the Jewish people that killed him. It was humanity that killed him. And it was through the Jewish people that God brought the seed, which is Messiah, Yeshua, so that the world could be restored in faithful covenant relationship. The words of Isaiah 41 and 2 are so beautiful. They are so important to remind us of God's faithfulness to Israel in spite of our lack of faithfulness to him. They are so pertinent in reminding us that he is our heavenly father and as with each earthly fathers who must from time to time assert punishment, the punishment should always be followed with a loving embrace and a full restoration. Comfort, oh comfort my people. This is verse 1 of Isaiah 40 again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity has been removed. For she has received from Adonai's hand double for all her sins. And these words are read immediately following the heartbreaking annual reminder of the destruction caused by our own failure to remain in covenant relationship with the Lord. But the most important part, in my opinion, of Isaiah 40 being read on Shabbat Nachamu is in the reality that uh, all of Isaiah, and especially the seven messages of consolation, are in fact Isaiah's proclamation of what we now know as the Besorah, the good news, the gospel of Yeshua. Beginning with the very setup of what would become the call of Yohanan Hamad, Bill, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. Verse 3 of Isaiah 40. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be a plain and the rugged terrain smooth. The glory of Adonai will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. And this was exactly how Yochanan Hamabil, John the Immerser, ministered 
coming out of the wilderness to Israel and uh, calling Israel, calling the Jewish people in the first century back to the Lord through restoration, through renewal, in preparation for the move of God that would come through Yeshua. See, here's the thing. Isaiah does, in fact, contain prophecy of the destruction and captivity of the calamity that would come under the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonian forces. He preaches to Israel and Judah about the consequences of our sins and our breaking covenant with the Lord. He reminds us of the very reality of the blessings and curses found in Deuteronomy 27 through 30. He draws our attention to the destitute and bleak reality that awaits us in the coming years. However, the promises of Isaiah aren't found solely in the messages of destruction, but instead in the message of redemption and restoration. See, Isaiah is the foundation of the Besor of the good news of Messiah Yeshua, and Isaiah 40 is a key passage in laying the groundwork and foundation of this good news. Isaiah is reminding us that just as God used prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah to proclaim the, the coming destruction and despair that awaits us in the diaspora, he, also, he will also use prophets like Ezra and Nehemiah to usher in the good news of redemption and restoration. Think about it. The entire Jewish world is focused on Isaiah 40 this Shabbat. The entire Jewish world is looking at these words from the prophet Isaiah to find comfort as we recall the destruction of the temple and the consequence of our sins. But also, as we take these seven weeks to focus heavily on introspection and repentance with a yearning for re restoration and relationship with God, and at the heart of the promise of restoration and forgiveness is the promise of the ultimate redemption and restoration that would come through, through the good news of Messiah Yeshua. Sadly, as is the case with our Jewish people, hearing the message of Teshuvah preached through Isaiah originally, our people have not opened their eyes and their hearts yet to the Besorah to the truth at the heart of Isaiah's words here. And ultimately, the fullness of the gospel will be played out throughout the seven messages of consolation as Isaiah ultimately takes us from the voice of Yochanan Hadmabil in the wilderness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach himself. We go to Isaiah 40, verse 9. It says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Zion. Lift up your voice with strength, you who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Look, Adonai Elohim comes with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers the lambs and his arms carries them in his bosom and gently guides nursing ewes. Again, I want to reiterate that the book of Isaiah is a twofold message. Destruction and captivity due to corporate sin of Israel with a promise of a remnant to remain and a redemption and restoration as well. But as I have said countless times here at CMC in biblical prophecy, a message of consequence of sin is never about the consequence, but rather about the call to teshuvah, the call to repent, repentance, the call to return back to Adonai. And this is absolutely the case through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah says the, uh, the, the, to proclaim the good news on a high mountain where everyone can hear it. He says to proclaim with a strong voice and no fear to behold your God, but what is this good news? Is it the destruction and captivity? Not in the least. The good news is redemption and restoration that will come. 
The good news is that ultimately God will once again bring Israel back to the promised land with that the temple and the Jewish people will once again be restored. The good news is that like a good shepherd, Adonai will not forsake his people. He will also, uh, he, uh, he, excuse me, he will not forsake his people. He will once again gather them to himself and care for them and embrace them in his loving arms. This is a perfect message for Isaiah to preach because of the Babylonian captivity that was right around the corner. And as we can see with Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, the Jewish heart in the diaspora always yearned to see restoration, not just of Jerusalem and the temple, but a personal and national restoration. And I believe wholeheartedly that their heart was yearning for a restoration that was to come. Hebrews talks about how our forefathers before us, that they were deemed righteous because they were looking to what would come with Messiah just as we are deemed righteous because we're looking back at what has come with Messiah but the good news Isaiah is speaking of isn't just the physical and literal restoration of Jerusalem and the temple or of the Jewish people to the promised land as we see occur with the exiles returned from Babylon. No, the good news is a promise of spiritual renewal and restoration. It is a promise of redemption from sin. It is a promise to restore the brokenness of our fallen hearts and lives through the promised atonement of Yeshua HaMashiach. It is a promise to deliver us from the enemy's grip. It is a promise to experience new life, renewed, uh, a renewed life in the Ruach HaKodesh and the Holy Spirit. It is a promise to be made message bearers of the good news, to make disciples and to further the kingdom of, of David, the kingdom of Messiah. See, there is, in fact, a good news. And Isaiah spends most of the rest of the book telling us all about the good news to come. He prophesies of the restoration of Jerusalem and the temple, but really, that is a foreshadowing of the greater promise being spoken of as the good news. Isaiah is prophesying of Yeshua's atonement of the new covenant, the restoration of Israel's covenant relationship with Hashem through Yeshua's atonement. He is reminding us that as the history of our forefathers shows us, we cannot uphold the covenant with the Lord on our own, which is why the Torah says a prophet like Moses would come, speaking of Yeshua, who would bring salvation and make way for us to truly be in covenant with Hashem. Most of the Jewish world today has looked at Isaiah as dealing with solely the destruction and restoration of Jerusalem and the Beit HaMikdash. But what we need to understand is that Isaiah's message is one of restoration and renewal, absolutely, but restoration of our hearts and lives, not specifically and solely of the dirt and the buildings that stood in Jerusalem. He isn't speaking solely of the earthly Jerusalem, but of our ability to be gathered in by the great shepherd into the new Jerusalem for all eternity. What our Jewish world needs most is to read Isaiah's words throughout the seven weeks of consolation, not solely from the perspective of what the rabbis and sages have told us since the third century, but instead with hearts and eyes open to the truth of the good news Isaiah desires to be proclaimed from the hilltops. The good news of Yeshua HaMashiach, the good news of salvation, the good news of freedom from sin, of freedom from failure, of freedom from broken relationships, broken spirits, broken hearts, freedom from death and despair, freedom from illness and curse, freedom in Messiah Yeshua. In 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 13, we read, So brace your minds for action. Keep your balance and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. 
Like obedient children, do not be shaped by the cravings you had formerly in your ignorance. Instead, just like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in everything you do. For it is written, Kedoshim you shall be, for I am Kadosh. Holy ones you shall be, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If you call on him as father, the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then live out the time of sojourning in reverent fear. Verse 18, you know that you were redeemed from the futile way of life handed down from your ancestors, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with precious blood like that of a lamb without defect or spot, the blood of Messiah. He was chosen before the foundations of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your trust and your hope uh, are in God. Not now that you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, leading to sincere brotherly love, love one another fervently from a pure heart. You have been born again, not from perishable seed, but imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God, for all humanity is like grass, and all its glory like wildflower. The, gro- the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was proclaimed as good news to you. In 1 Peter 1, Peter alludes uh, in this discussion to the good news that Isaiah proclaims, the good news of Yeshua Mashiach. He says, through, Yeshua, uh, through Messiah Yeshua, we have been redeemed from our sinful and destructive ways into new life and freedom through the blood of the Lamb. We have been made Kedoshim, or holy ones, through Messiah, as God has called us to be throughout the Torah, throughout the entirety of the Tanakh. The problem is, as we can see through the history of Israel, on our own, in our own human effort and capacity, we cannot live up to our covenant with Hashem. It is only through the blood of Yeshua that we can be restored in covenant relationship. It is only through the blood of Yeshua that we can live up to the Word of God, not because of anything we strive to do physically, externally, but because of what the Spirit of God is doing in our hearts and lives, because of the reality of the new covenant being written upon our hearts. It is only through the blood of Yeshua that we can be restored in covenant relationship with the Lord. And through this, we will be restored, be the restored house of the Lord, the restored tabernacle of David, where the Shekhinah dwells. Verse 22 again says, Now that you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, leading to sincere brotherly love, love one another fervently from a pure heart. You have been born again, not from perishable seed, but from imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. In Messiah Yeshua, we have been purified. We have been made clean and renewed, not for our own sake, not for, our, not for us to be greedy with his presence and salvation. No, we are now called to be a light to the world. And understand this. When the nations are grafted into the root and the fatness of the olive tree, they are not brought in as some new thing that God is doing away with Israel and replacing them with the nations. Instead, the nations are grafted into the spiritual commonwealth of Israel. And Jew and Gentile together become one, united in Messiah. And as the nations are striving to reach the Jewish people and drive them to jealousy for their God, and the Jewish believers are striving to reach the nations and to be a light unto the nations, carrying the light of Messiah to the nations, together we become one and together we become the light that goes to the world as we carry the light of Messiah into the world. We are called to make disciples, to be the ones upon the hills proclaiming the good news that all may be saved. 
Here's the deal, though. The call to proclaim the good news hasn't changed. It's our hearts that have now changed, and our comfort, our nachamu, is in Messiah. See, the message of the good news didn't change because Messiah came, and it didn't change because suddenly the, the body of Messiah began to preach the gospel through the blood of Messiah. The good news was already there. We look at John 1 and it says that all was created through Yeshua. The good news was already there since the foundations of all creation were laid. Nothing has changed. The difference is that now we are able to be a part of that good news. We are able to proclaim that good news carrying the mantle of Isaiah and the prophets of old. With that, the call of Shabbat Nachamu is still the same. It is to speak comfort to Israel through the good news of Messiah Yeshua. It is to live as Kedoshim, as holy ones, as disciples, so that our lives shine forth the light of Messiah. As I prepare to close, I'd like to go ahead and invite our worship team to make their way back up to the Bema. We sang in worship this morning uh, the, the, a song that says uh, very clearly and very boldly, Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before you. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. For the sin of the world, His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. This is the good news by which we were saved. This is the good news by which we have been restored in covenant relationship with Hashem. This is the good news by which we have been restored and renewed in the Ruach HaKodesh and the Holy Spirit. It is also for this good news that we must become proclaimers before the whole world, to the Jew first and also to the nations. It is in this good news that we have the opportunity to see Jew and Gentile become one. It is through this good news that we become heirs to the kingdom of Messiah. As we look at the world around us, I believe it is obvious that Messiah's return is in fact imminent, which means our job is that much more important in these last days. As we prepare for the high holy days, it is necessary that we meditate on the reality of the good news, on the power of the blood of the Lamb. It is necessary that we allow the Ruach to move in and through us to prepare our hearts as Kedoshim so the world may know His truth. His good news. It is time we take up the mantle of Isaiah and proclaim the good news from the mountaintops, but also in the valleys. We must proclaim with our lives first, then with our mouths. We must proclaim the good news at work, in our neighborhoods, to our families and friends, in the grocery store, and anywhere and everywhere else the Lord allows us to breathe His breath of life. We must be bold in our faith, bold for Messiah. It wasn't easy for Isaiah to proclaim what he uh, uh, was to, uh, to proclaim before Israel and Judah, but God didn't call him because the task was easy. And the days we live in are far worse than what Isaiah and the prophets of old knew. But the task is the same, to proclaim the good news that all may be saved and know the truth of Messiah Yeshua. And we must proclaim this comfort, this nachamu, till the very end. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are faithful in spite of our faithlessness. Father, we thank you that your covenant stands true and stands permanent for all eternity and that through Messiah Yeshua, through the blood of the Lamb, that we are restored and renewed in covenant relationship with you. 
Father, I thank you that you have given us the assignment to stand firm for the good news, for the besorah of Messiah Yeshua, that we will proclaim it with our mouths, with our lives, with our hearts before all. Father, I thank you that you have put your words not only on paper in the Bible before us, but that you have taken these words and you have made them a part of who we are. You have placed them in our hearts. You have restored, renewed, and, and uh, redeemed us by placing your good truth, your covenant written upon our hearts in ways that we could have never imagined. Father, I thank you that in spite of our sinful ways, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our rejection of you and your ways, that, Father, through Messiah Yeshua, we are able to be restored and renewed not only to preach the gospel, but to live it out in our lives, that we are able to be restored and renewed as Kedoshim, as holy ones, walking in faithful covenant relationship with you. And, Father, I thank you that in these last days, you make it so abundantly clear every waking moment that we must take up the mantle of Isaiah, that we must proclaim uh, at the top of our lungs with boldness in the Ruach HaKodesh and your Holy Spirit, the truth of your salvation, the truth of your good news and Messiah Yeshua, that all may be saved, that all may come to know you, and that all may be renewed and restored through the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua to the Jew first and also to the nations. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, and everyone says, Amen.